and continue our uh, study of uh, Paul's letter to Rome. I want to read uh, beginning at verse 8 and read through verse uh, 15. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. <clears throat> There's a lot of ways that I think you could be impressed with the Apostle Paul. Um, there are times when um, uh, Paul uh, creates words. He'll be uh, teaching or writing a letter to Galatians, for instance, and he'll 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 combine two words that uh, never before existed and thus creates a word. Um, Paul was um, a, a genius of the, of the first drawer. Uh, his, his logic and his ability to reason are, are unparalleled. But one of the things that always impresses me about Paul is the fact that he, um, he had such pastoral in, instincts or such pastoral gifts or such pastoral insights. I don't know exactly what to call it, but he was a pastor's pastor. There's a sense in which what I, I want to point to you, you to tonight in a couple of ways um, is more directed at me than at you because there, there is here a couple of insights to this man as he carries out his ministry that I, that I think we ought to use as criteria by which all ministers are, are measured and judged. There, there are two things that I want to draw your attention to tonight that uh, should be true of everyone who claims um, the name pastor or minister uh, in terms of the professional clergy. You know, um, there's, there's an indistinct word, the word minister, because I think you all know that uh, we're all supposed to be in some way engaged in ministry. But God in his providence set aside a group of people, did so in, um, in the Old Testament with the Levites, as you know, and, and uh, he gave a portion of the promised land to every tribe, but he didn't give any to the Levites because they, were, they had a job. And their job was to, I mean, the professional clergy came into being, ladies and gentlemen, uh, with the Levites, with the tribe of Levi. Um, so it's, it's somewhat of a, an unclear de line of demarcation between ministries and a minister or a pastor or whatever. But what I'm trying to point out is to, to those who, who call themselves occupants of the professional clergy. I don't particularly like that title, but I, I hope you understand why I make the distinction, at least tonight. There are two things that I want you to see. One's in verse 10. Um, and really, actually, it's in verse 9. The, the other one is in verses 10 and 13, but we'll, we'll make that leap in a second. 
Let me read you verse 9 first. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit, in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. The first thing that I want you to see, first of all, I guess, um, is that Paul is praying for a group of people that he doesn't even know. He's never met. Uh, that's that's somewhat impressive to me because I, I, I can often be gripped and and burdened with with the uh, with the needs of people that I that are a part of my life. But praying for people that I've never seen, never met, that's not uh, terribly true of me. But that's not what I want. What I wanted you to see. I wanted you to see this little distinction that he makes in verse nine. Um, for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit, in the gospel of His Son. With that little prepositional phrase, with my spirit in the gospel of his son. To me, um, there is a poignancy and a pregnancy to that little prepositional phrase that that I don't want any, I don't, I don't want to miss personally. Gang, um, um, this is somewhat difficult to communicate because I, I don't want to be at all self-serving in anything that I say, but um, I don't know whether you've ever been involved with people who at least were in the professional clergy, and yet you felt that there was something that was a, a miss. Um, <clears throat> when I was in seminary, we we all arrived there. I remember driving up in a U-Haul truck with all of my worldly possessions, scared to death, scared to death. <clears throat> the um, the executive secretary of the seminary at that time was a guy by the name of Ed Williford. In fact, he was here at a missions conference. He was at French Camp. You might have met Ed. He is a prince of a man. I adore him. But it was about a little bit after five o'clock. Um, that we pulled up there from, we just moved from Ocala, uh, no, from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And um, he was in the province of God, walking out of his office on his way home, and, and I pull up in the truck and I rolled down the window. And I said, well, you know, I don't know where we're going to live. I don't know what we're going to do. I don't have any money. I don't have any job. You know, he was, I was just, just regurgitating emotionally all over the poor man. And, um, <clears throat> and he looked at me and he said, son, and I was 20. 23? 23? Maybe. I guess. Maybe, maybe. Anyway, 25, whatever. 25, I think. Anyway, he looked at me and rolled down one and he said, Son, relax. We're not going to let you starve. That was the sweetest thing I think people had said to me in years. Um, and, and we really didn't have a place to say that night. And he put us up in this house. It was called a missionary house. And we, it, it really worked out. But anyway. Once you get there, there is this sense, you know, I just walked away from my real nice job. I had a company car, I had a fat expense account, you know, they had just wanted to promote me, and I just quit. And of course, my daddy is saying, son, have you lost your mind? <laughs> um, and you know, I'm living in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I have never even been to Jackson, Mississippi. I love Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and I, you know, and I, and I, I arrive on this campus, and the big question that all of us have is, are, are we really sure we ought to be here? And, and I never will forget in the numerous discussions that I got into about um, um, you know, whether or not this was a good decision, a right decision. People would say this kind of thing. I, 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 maybe they only said it one time, but it really stuck with me. And they, they would look at me and they would say, relax. Everything's going to be fine if you're called. 
said, well, you didn't help me much, big boy. Um, you know, we would, we would all busy about and say, I wonder if there's going to be a job available for us in three years when we graduate. And they said, don't worry. There'll be a job. If you're called. <laughs> oh, great. Well, my point is, gang, um, there's something to that. There's something to that calling. I don't know how to quantify it. I don't know how to objectify it for you. But I think that's what Paul is mentioning when he says, whom I serve with my spirit. You know, um, I think I've told you before, I know I've mentioned it, I don't forget where, but maybe you've not heard it. If you hadn't heard it, it's still news. But there were a couple of occasions that, um, that I really wanted to get out of this business. And uh, that's somewhat of a rude, crude term, but I wanted to leave the ministry. And I, and I, I don't know, I've told you the story about Pat McMillan, and Pat McMillan told me, you know, if you want a job, if you come to Atlanta, you stop, I'll give you a job. And I was driving back from Memphis, and we just had this turmoil on the way from Memphis to Atlanta, whether or not I should stop and call Pat McMillan. That was, gosh, it was 20 years ago, or 15 years ago, whatever, 20 years ago, I guess. And um, I didn't call Pat McMillan. But one of the places that I, that I went, ladies and gentlemen, is to a passage that's uh, related in Jeremiah chapter 20. If you've never seen that, you might want to take a look at it. But I think, I think what Jeremiah is saying is what Paul is saying. Jeremiah comes to the place in his ministry where he looks up into heaven and says, I've had enough of this. You deceived me and I've been deceived. Um, I mean, he looks into the face of heaven and says, I've had it. I am turning in my prophet's card. Get yourself another boy. Because you lied to me. And he goes on and on with this enormous complaint into the face of God, just, just blasting heaven. And then in verse 9, he says, he says this, and I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, it's a marvelous statement, but I think it's the same thing that Paul is saying. He says, but if I no more speak in the name of Jehovah, there is within me a fire in my bones. And I'm driving through Atlanta thinking, Jimmy, do you have that fire in your bones? Is there something that is within your spirit that prompts you to do what you're doing? That's what I see in this, in this pastor. This God, I, I call God to witness, this God that I serve from my spirit, with my spirit, in my spirit, from the depths of my being, I serve him. Everything that is in me, everything I do, when I pray, when in, in all of these acts of service, they are, they are because there is something from the depths of my soul. And gang, he says this, listen to some of these comments that this pastor makes. Listen to this. This is elsewhere. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. But the manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your, your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Here's a man who says, I determined to know nothing among you. I didn't come with wisdom. I didn't, do, I didn't, I didn't, wanna, I didn't give a hoot about anything else. I want to know about Christ and Him crucified. 
here is a man who I, I think has this, this deep sense that God has set him apart for this task. And that's what I think this prepositional phrase is all about. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit. I don't serve in the flesh. This is not a carnal call. This is not a job. Um, and, and ladies and gentlemen, sometimes you've heard me refer to it, perhaps, my job. Um, I, I want you to know, if I don't have that, may God have mercy on you. If I don't have that, we're all in trouble. Because I must have that. I must have that. Now, I'm not saying that I do have that. <laughs> I think I do. But I'm saying if I don't have that, we're all in trouble. And I don't know whether you've ever been in situations where um, you sensed that down at, at, the, at the center of this pastor's being, there's something not there. I, um, I was in a phone conversation yesterday with a guy in, out of town, and we were talking about this very thing. We were talking about two men with, we, with whom we both had had dealings. And one of them is, is just a, he's a missionary's missionary. The other one, they need to bring him home. He doesn't have it. He doesn't have that thing. Whatever you like to call it, I don't know, you know, you can call it what you like. But he doesn't have that thing that Paul is saying, I serve this God with my spirit. The center of me is something that God placed there. And my service comes from my spirit. Ladies and gentlemen, um, there's a Sunday school class in this church that um, um, sent me a nice little card. It must be James Dobson's Pastor Appreciation Week or something. But uh, they, they sent me a sweet card with all their little signatures and nice little notes and and um, they, they said some nice things, and well, we, we, we thank you for your life of service and all this business. And you know, I'm not even sure that's descriptive and true, but I want you to know if it doesn't come from that, may God have mercy on you. If I am here serving myself, may God have mercy on you, because we're all in trouble. I'm deceived, you're deceived, and, uh, and I'm not going to help you one whit. Because the pastor that is worth his salt is one who can say that. What I'm doing tonight is drawing your attention to two characteristics that must be true of all pastors. I think. There's one. I'm serving this God. I call this God to witness whom I serve with my spirit. The service comes from the deepest recesses of me. And uh, as a result of that, my prayer for you that I've never met is just something that is uh, the natural result of serving this God with, from, in, by my spirit. The other thing that I wanted you to say about Paul is something that <clears throat> I'm not sure I can say about me either. And by the way, I'm not, I'm not trying to draw attention to me tonight. I'm just saying that this, I, what I'm saying has more application really uh, for a pastor than it does somebody else. Um, but part of this is really going to be uh, germane for you in just a minute. But um, keep reading with me. Making requests, if by some means, now at last, I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. Skip to verse 13. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now that I, may, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as the other two. Do, do you see what Paul has said? 
Paul has said that there had been numerous occasions that I planned to come see you guys. I wanted to come see you. In fact, <clears throat> in, um, in the 15th chapter of this book, Paul even says, uh, if I can find this real quick, in, in chapter 15, verse 23, he says, um, but now no longer having a place uh, in these parts, having a great desire that many years to come to you whenever I journey to Spain. Paul's, uh, what he was planning is, I, I'm going to take a trip to Spain, and uh, when I'm on my way to Spain, I'm going to stop in and see you guys over in Rome. That's my plan. And yet, notice what he says uh, in, in, in verse 2. Um, now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. I, I wanted to come see you, but I've been hindered. I wanted to do this, but God said no. I, I, you know, my plan is this. But God stopped me from carrying out my plan. And so now what I'm praying for is that somehow God's will might allow me to come see you. But do you get the, the, the sense, the drift of what Paul is saying? He says, uh, I want to come see you, and it's my great desire to come see you. But I wouldn't dream of coming over there unless I'm confident that this is the will of God for me. <laughs> the, the thing that I think is so beautiful about him is that this is one strong man, ladies and gentlemen. This is, a, this is a, a, a mental giant, an intellectual giant. And the thing that characterizes him is this marvelously sweet submission to the will of God and all that he wants to do. Um, that's his attitude about what he wants to do in his ministry. If God says it's okay, I'll do it. But if he doesn't say, okay, I'm not going to do it. Um, now, gang, what I want to do tonight is raise the whole question of the Christian's perplexity with discovering God's will, <laughs> which is kind of certainly user-friendly. But the thing I don't want you to miss, and what I hope to come back to and close with, is to show you that Paul is very submissive to that will of God. I want to come, but I wouldn't dream of coming. I wouldn't dream of coming unless God allows me to, and it's according to his will. He's planned the trip before, but he hasn't carried it out. So even in this great apostle's life, God sometimes said no. And even though he had planned to go to Spain, he was not going to do it until he was absolutely confident that it was God's will. Now, um... What I first can say concerning the will of God is this, that you see Paul here accepting hindrances and views them as indicators of the will of God. Did you get that? that that's pretty important, ladies and gentlemen. That is, Paul views hindrances as indicators as to what God's will is for him. Um, God sometimes shows us his will via hindrances. Um, on, on numerous occasions, and, and I've been in the ministry almost 25 years, but on, I, I probably a dozen times I've had young men come into my office 
and tell me that they feel like God was calling them in the ministry. Do you know what the first question I ask is? First question. First question is, what does your wife say about it? And I'm telling you, out of those 12 times, I promise you I've had three or four say, well, um, you know, she's not real wild about it, but, you know, I feel like it's God's will that I can go to a seminary because I'm going to serve God and preach. And I invariably uh, tell him in no uncertain terms, you, mister, are not called by God to go to the ministry. And uh, that's certainly a, uh, not a happy, at, at least at this juncture, you're not called. Because until your wife is in this thing with you, don't you dream of stepping into this world. Stay out of it. Now, but my point is, ladies and gentlemen, God sometimes uses wives to indicate his will for us. They become hindrances. And wives, I must say to you that sometimes God uses husbands and they are hindrances. They're big albatrosses around your neck. Um, but it is through hindrances that we get indications of God's will for us. Folks, um, let me read you a, a, a couple of statements. Um, listen to this. Um, uh, this is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 18. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, um, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. There are, there are, there are occasions, apparently, in the life of Paul where uh, he wanted to do certain things but did not feel he could pull them off because he felt and sensed that, that Satan, and I'm not sure what he was referring to, but that Satan was hindering him from coming. Listen to this statement. This is in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who do, et cetera, et cetera. My, my point is there was another thing that hindered Paul was his health. Satan hindered him. His health hindered him. Listen to this. This is in Acts 16. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word of a in, in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. All four of those instances, ladies and gentlemen, are, are examples of God hindering them and by so doing, indicating His will for them. So the first thing that you've got to understand about how it is that I discover God's will for my life is that sometimes God uses hindrances to indicate which way, which direction he wants us to go. Um, now, how does something, this is, this is somewhat of an, an aside, but how does anyone decide to do anything? How do you decide, how do you make a decision that is, um, that you can be reasonably certain that you have, uh, adhered to and followed the will of God in your life. There's, a, there's about four things I would mention, ladies and gentlemen, and none of them are rocket science. But first of all, the, the thing that I would plead with you about when, you, when it comes to this issue of the will of God, may I say to you with great passion, God gave us minds. And please don't bypass that great gift as you begin and, and look for some kind of numinous indication of his will for you. He gave you a mind. 
the, the first precept I would plead with you, use it. Think through the thing from top to bottom. Now, now let me give you some, one of the things that, I, that a lot of people recommend, this is not original with me, it's just a plus and minus sheet. And then you total up the, uh, you, you arrive at a total. Let me give you an example. When I graduated from seminary, I had, um, I had two, I had three job offers. One of them we never considered. But the two, one was working at Coral Ridge as a youth director, a Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in Fort Lauderdale. The other one was to start this church in Ocala. And I really didn't know which one to take. And so someone recommended that I do this, and I'm recommending that you do this. Here's what we did. We took two sheets of paper, and we put um, uh, yeah, two sheets of paper. This is uh, front and back of two sheets of paper. And we put Ocala Pro and Ocala No, or Con. And then Fort Lauderdale uh, Pro and Fort Lauderdale Con. And then we listed everything that we could possibly think of. For, to, to let you know how silly it was, in terms of pros and cons, um, uh, one of the pros of going to Ocala was that Christmas, and this was, and I, I've got to go to work in June now, that Christmas, before that June, my mother and father, for Christmas, for a Christmas present, had bought me a very swanky, foxy leather jacket. And I thought, well, if I go to Fort Lauderdale, I can't wear my jacket. <laughs> mm. uh, so that went on the pro side. So you, you write down everything that you can possibly think of that would be pro and everything that you can possibly think of that would be con. Everything. And then you put it aside for three days. And you pray. And then you come back and you begin to strike the things that are utter foolishness. Like whether or not you can wear your leather jacket. You strike all those things and leave there that which is truly substantive. And then you might get some sense of leadership from what is really substantive that's left. That's, that's something that you can do in terms of... A third thing that I would mention is, is seeking counsel. I think you know that the Scriptures teach that in much counsel there's wisdom. That's something that you must not bypass. And then the, the, the fourth thing is uh, you must consider the circumstances. In, um, I, I could list you a dozen of those in terms of circumstances. But guys, God will lead you through open and closed doors. And if you, if you barge through closed doors, you're a ninny. Let, let me give you an example. Um, I, I have a real desire to go back to Kiev this summer. I don't think it's going to work. Um, the problem is that uh, Roger's going to take a Western tour and the, and, the, and the concert and the choir and everybody's going to be on a Western tour and we wanted to be over there. Well, I can still go. I can go later or I can go without him being there. That would be foolishness. Utter foolishness. It would be barging through doors that God has already closed. He has given me a hindrance and that hindrance I wouldn't dare ignore. The hindrance is Rogers. Not, then, 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 for some reason, I, I got to tell you a story. But I, I, let me say that story until we close. We got six more minutes. Um, but guys, there's also something that I would mention in terms of a, just a, a still small voice inside that says, "No, I, I think they, some call it a check in the spirit or something like that. I don't know about the the evangelical term, 
but there's a there's a voice inside that says yes or no, and uh, don't 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 go against that. But whatever you do, ladies and gentlemen, move slowly. Uh, if somebody wants to sell you something, and they've got to have you buy it because the price goes up in the next 45 minutes, don't buy it. Move slowly, um, guys. Desires aren't bad. Paul had desires to go to Spain and Rome. He went to Rome at the end of his ministry, as you know, and died there. The desires aren't the bad things. It's the lack of submission that's the bad thing. And if God has hindered you to press forward in the midst of that, in the face of that hindrance, is 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 foolhardy. And Paul is praying that that God's will might allow him. I love that about this man. This strong, able, capable, intellectual giant. I know, Jimmy, I wouldn't dream of doing anything, but I didn't sense what God will. Let me show you one other thing with this will quit. If, you ever, if you've never seen this passage, you need to turn and look at it. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, see if you can find that real quick. And with this will quit. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The first time I ever saw this text with, with Prophet, I was sitting in a class called Theology of Ministry with Ralph Davis. Ralph Davis is a great guy. But anyway, um, let me read you this text, beginning at verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, no. That's not in there. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. I want that thorn to stay. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now notice Paul's reaction to that statement. Please, Lord, remove this thorn. Three times he prayed it. My great, my great longing, my desire is that I might be healthy. Give me my health back, please, Lord. And God said, sorry, I want it there. It's got a purpose there. Now notice how this man reacts. Therefore, therefore, in the midst of being told, no, you can't have what you want, most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And this, this, ladies and gentlemen, is the coup de grace. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. He, he looks at the very thing that God said no over and said, well, okay, if God said no over, that's something that ought to thrill me. I take pleasure. We're not being simply asked to endure, ladies and gentlemen. We are being asked to take pleasure, even. I'll tell you real quick, and then we'll stop. Back in May, maybe it was April, maybe it was in April, I was on, it was a Saturday afternoon, and I was back in my, my backyard swinging in my uh, um, hammock, not bothering a soul, uh, unkept, unshaven, very dirty, and um, just enjoying life. 
uh, my wife walks out the back door and she has the portable phone in her hand and said, talk to your daughter. And um, my daughter said, Daddy, 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 would you please help us? I said, no, no, now how does a daddy normally respond to it? I mean, and they had found a house they wanted to buy. Now we had been looking for some houses, you know, uh, for them, and um, but they um, they had all been way out of reach, and this one was within reach. And uh, so, would you please come look at it with me, Daddy? So indeed, my wife and I threw on some clothes, headed over to this house to look at this house, and boy, it was it was a treasure. Uh, ninety thousand dollars. It cost ninety thousand dollars, and it should have been. And actually, uh, the guy ripped us off, and, and uh, because he realized that he was asking way too low for the house. But anyway, it's something long story. But anyway, we got so excited about that house, so excited about that house, and I mean, it, 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 they even threw a motorcycle in with it. That's the honest truth. There was a motorcycle that came along with it. You got the motorcycle free. I mean, everything you did, it was in tip-top shape. You didn't have to paint it. You just moved right in. It was a beautiful little place. Anyway, um, I wrote the guy a check that day for, as a down payment. And, of course, my son-in-law could not qualify, so I set it out the next day, Monday, to qualify and did in a matter of four hours. Got the money, ready to go. See my little ones in a house. Long story short, it erupted. It blew up. The guy who was trying to sell the house was a criminal. Uh, turns out he, he uh, somebody told him you're asking way too little for that house. Get it off the market. Lie to him. Whatever you have to do, but you know get that house back. And he did. He lied to us. He just lied, lied. Well, all that to say, we were devastated, devastated. My children cried. I mean, my daughter cried. She cries all the time. Um, <laughs> she cried and she cried. And of course, that just tears me up. Just tore me up. I mean, Bob Wood can tell you what a morose human being I was for a few days. Um, <clears throat> so we, you know, we just really thought it was just a raw deal. <laughs> About three weeks later, my son-in-law lost his job. He was out of work for 90 days. And when he found a job, it was in Washington, D.C., had we bought that house, we would have been in trouble. <laughs> but the faithful God blocked my desires. And instead of saying, I take pleasure, I'll let you fill in the rest. Ladies and gentlemen, God gives us indications as to his will by standing in our way and stopping us and the demand on us then is for a sweet, submissive pleasure. That's what we're shooting for, guys. If you need to get to a um, um, meeting or choir rehearsal, it is time to go. that, we will close in prayer. Our Father, I thank you for the great model of this man who, in, all, in the midst of all of his strength and all of his desires, 
knew that his greatest safety was in submission to your will. Teach me that, Father. I want to be able to say, like that pastor, I now take pleasure in infirmities. Let me do that, Father. Let me one day look at your hindrance and rejoice in it, like we see Paul doing. Father, I'm not the only one in this room that wants that. So many of my brothers and sisters in Christ want to be known as, as submissive people, submissive to the will of God. And then, Father, if there are those here tonight who are struggling as to what it, that will might be for them, I pray that some of what has been said will give them some smidgen of help as we try to discover exactly what you would have, for we all know the safest place to be is right smack dab in the center of your will. We make our prayer, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you and good night. We'll do this again next week.